As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're going to be doing some USA roster breakdown. We have the latest roster for the USA's World Cup qualifiers against Mexico and Jamaica. Lots to be discussed, lots of players in, a few players not included, surprisingly. Joe Lowry is with me to talk about this roster. Joe, what is the the first thing you noticed when you looked at the latest roster? Ah, the first thing I noticed, mm-hmm. no John Brooks, Taylor. Yep. That is the absolute first thing that popped into my mind. The goalkeeper group standard. We'll talk more about that later. But my eyes glazed over to the defender section. And holy moly, that is a big surprise to me. (laughs) Yes, uh, it was to me as well. Uh, Greg Berhalter in his roster press conference talked about that at length, was asked about that several times. Uh, We'll be going over some of his comments in a little bit. We're going to talk about our thoughts after that. First, let's just run through the roster real quick, Joe. Give some quick thoughts as we see them. Goalkeeper position, there are three, not surprisingly. It is a 25-player roster, if you haven't seen it. Goalkeepers, Sean Johnson, Zach Steffen, and Matt Turner. Makes sense, right? These are, I think, the three best. Ethan Horvath maybe in that group as well, but but three of the top-end goalkeepers in this group. There's been some talk online, at least, about Brad Guzan potentially being the third goalkeeper if the U.S. does end up making it to Qatar in 2022, which I, I... can kind of see and I'm kind of here for him. I'm pretty ambivalent about that in general. But for now and for these games, I think it's a battle between Stefan and Turner to start both of them and Sean Johnson's there as the number three in camp. Berhalter was asked about that, who the starter would be. We'll talk about that later on. First, nine defenders. Reggie Cannon, Mark McKenzie, Chris Richards, Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson, Joe Scally, Sam Vines, DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman, the two Obvious names missing from that would be John Brooks and Serginho Dest. Serginho Dest missing due to injury. Berhalter emphasized that several times. Brooks, though, a healthy scratch, Joe. So bizarre to me. And I, do, do we want to get into detail on, on Brooks now? Or do we want to do it later, Taylor? Because uh, I have, okay, I have some now. things to say. I, I think this is a big mistake from mm-hmm. Greg Berhalter. Maybe not a, a massive mistake. I don't know that this is single-handedly going to lose the U.S. a game. But I think it hurts their ability to win one or both of these games. Man, John Brooks is the best passer 
you have in the center back pool. And he's not in this group now, right? I, I think he would have been a huge option to have breaking lines against Mexico. He would have been useful to have against likely what will be a, a more compact Jamaica team. Yes, there are the defensive issues, right? Those things we know. And, and you have to take the bad with the good with John Brooks and really with every player. But man, I, I can't help but feel that this is a slight overreaction to John Brooks' recent form with club and country. Yeah. So uh, a couple comments for you. Uh, initially asked about it. He said it was a difficult decision. It was based on his performance from the last round of qualifiers. Uh, he referenced uh, some comments John Brooks made to Doug McIntyre. Uh, he said, that's all you can ask from a player. He took accountability, and that's what we want to see. I'm sure he'll be back, and he just needs to regain his form. Those comments that he mentioned to Doug uh, were from John Brooks saying, in life and in soccer, nothing is ever handed to you, nor should it be. The decision to leave me out of this camp is not is not surprising, emphasizing the not. Uh, given some of my recent performances for the U.S. men's national team, that aren't up to my standards. My job now is to work hard to be the very best I can be. I feel great about this week's Champions League performance and my recent play with Wolfsburg, and will keep building on my performance there until I reach my goal of helping the USMNT reach the next World Cup. So, some mature leadership words yeah. from John Brooks, I yeah. would say, but I still share your trepidation about his not being involved, and I'm sure it was a long conversation. I'm guessing it wasn't just a quick text of like, no you, next camp, but I'm guessing it was a conversation about what wasn't working, what needed to change. Maybe Brooks was comfortable with staying in Germany and continuing to work on his game there to get back into the kind of form that we expect, but as I said, Joe, I'm a little bit nervous about this as well, just because he is such a veteran presence and has historically been so important to this team. And credit to John Brooks for his response, right? Mm -hmm. That is a really mature, I like how philosophical, excuse me, he got at the yeah. beginning in life and in soccer, blah, blah, blah. But credit to John <laughs> Brooks for the way he's reacting to this, at least on the outside. But yeah, I don't really know how you can make an argument that this is about form, which is the explanation that we've been given and, and is the one that makes sense. When Mark McKenzie is included in this center back group, who's mm -hmm. not really been playing all that much in Belgium and hasn't been all that good when he is playing. And, and yes, they have different skill sets, Mark McKenzie and John Brooks. McKenzie's a little bit more mobile than Brooks and, and is probably a little bit better on 1v1 defensive moments on the ground. But man, Brooks brings way more with the ball. And I just would feel a lot more comfortable about the U.S. with Brooks over McKenzie. Maybe not Brooks necessarily over Miles Robinson or Walker Zimmerman, but, but maybe over Richards. It's, it's a weird thing. It's a weird move. And also referencing form, Brooks didn't even play in the last window. He missed the last three World Cup qualifiers in October with a back injury. So the minutes that we're really talking about here are all the way back in September. He was subbed off against halftime, uh, subbed off at halftime against Honduras in September. That was the final game of that window. And he had not been playing well. The U.S. in general had not been playing well in that first half. And he started against Canada. And I don't think he was very good against Canada either with his passing. I think we've seen a lot better from John Brooks in red, white, and blue and for club. But man, it, it feels like it's an overreaction to leave him off of this roster when we've only seen 135-ish minutes of him with the U.S. in this cycle, in this World Cup qualifying cycle specifically. And he is starting to get back to form with Wolfsburg and, and compared to some of the other options in the center back pool and on this roster. So, yeah, I, I'm confused, Taylor. One thing I'll say, two things. Uh, one is my interpretation. One is something Berhalter said. My interpretation, Joe, I'd kind of forgotten that he was injured the last round of qualifying. We know Berhalter doesn't appear to hold grudges because Weston McKinney brought back in and sort of uh, made amends. Everything's all good there after being sent home prematurely from camp. Um, 
But I do wonder if that, like, if Brooks so underperformed in that first round of qualifying that Greg Berhalter wanted to sort of make a statement, let him know that it's not good enough, that performance must be better, and maybe would have not caught him up for the last round of games, but because he was injured, that sort of would have sent mixed signals of like, you're injured, but I'm also not calling you up. Doesn't quite convey the severity of the situation. So maybe that was partially informing this choice. The other thing I would say that Berhalter did talk about was how the United States he said he said this multiple times plans to press very high against both of these upcoming opponents and that the center back selections were geared towards allowing them to do that so he wanted athleticism and 1v1 defense that's specifically what he mentioned about Mark McKenzie he did add that he does have previous world cup qualifying experience but i think the athleticism the 1v1 defending and the ability to cover ground when the united states presses high was a large factor in why he's included and I, I do buy that explanation. I, I can see Berhalter's reasoning here. I just don't agree with that mm-hmm. reasoning, right? Especially given some of the other options that I, I've already kind of made this argument. The challenge, Taylor, with your first point is Brooks was injured, yes, in the last window, but he was called up. He was called up and then had to withdraw from the roster on October 4th. So just a really strange situation. Why yep. was this action not taken in October and he le- in, you know, and having him initially left off of that group. And, and uh, it's, it's a strange, it's a strange thing. That's a good point, man. Yeah. All right. Well, we're back to being a little bit confused by that one. We'll just have to, I guess, take him at his word that it's, we want to see him improve. We want to see how he responds and credit to John Brooks for not, you know, being furious and throwing <laughs> things and screaming, but instead handling it well. But we might end up seeing this as a massive mistake. Maybe it will be an excellent gamble, but only time will tell. Uh, we'll talk more about the roster in detail. First, I want to finish it out by talking about the midfielders. Uh, we've got Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Jean-Luc Abusio, Sebastian Legette, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, and Christian Roldan. A lot to like there, and then some not to like, Joe. Yes, agreed completely. First of all, I just love how the names Jean-Luc Abusio and Sebastian yep. Legette roll off the tongue back to oh, yeah. back. I, I do have some beef with Legette being included in this mm-hmm. roster, potentially at the expense of Luca De La Torre, who's a guy I know yep. we're both bummed not to mm-hmm. see in this group. But for, for pronunciation reasons, I'm all for Legette <laughs> and Busio being named back to back in this roster announcement. And I was, and I was mildly surprised to see Kellen Acosta as well. As long as we're having the conversation about John Brooks and underperforming and not sort of being at the standard we need to see, I think Legette is there for the kind of being one of Berhalter's group, being there since the beginning, probably a good locker room presence. Kellen Acosta, I'm assuming the same things, except that he was sent home from the original camp, but that was a long time ago. But I think if you are going to sort of send a message of people need to step up their performances, and if not, they, they won't be called in. Bringing Kellen Acosta back is a bit of a head scratcher for me. I feel that, but much more with Legette. In a, in mm. a Costa situation, we've talked about this before and we talked about it with, with the scuffed fellas. There just aren't a lot of other options at the six that Baralter has used and, and seems to have some relationship with, right? James Sands made an appearance at the Gold Cup. Jackson Ewell's time appears to be mostly done with the U.S. men's national team. There aren't a lot of other players he's tried. And, and even though Acosta really struggled against Panama, so did a lot of other players. Acosta was, was one of the worst defenders in that game. But it does not surprise me that he's back in this group just because the relative lack of depth behind Tyler Adams. I think, I think that is almost an, enough of a reason alone to get Acosta in this group. And we get the opportunity to see the MMA midfield again. Theoretically, there might be a challenger for that midfield spot, uh, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Rounding out the roster, we've got six players listed as forwards, though I would argue only one of them is a true forward, because we got Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, and Tim Weah. 
Interesting things to note here would be Pulisic involved. That's a positive. And Ricardo yes. Pepe is more or less our only like traditional number nine. <laughs> Berhalter was asked about that one. But Joe, uh, broadly speaking, which players have you the most excited from that list? Uh, Ferreira has me really excited. And this is probably me majorly overthinking things because it's likely that he's not going to start either of these two games at the nine. And Pepe will probably start both if he's up and ready to go and maybe play 60-65 in both of them. But man, the idea of Ferreira against Jamaica, I I like a lot. Him dropping in, receiving, creating overload centrally, then breaking into the box. He's been pretty good with Dallas recently, playing as more of a 10 in a 4-2-3-1. Those roles are not entirely different, the 10 and and the false 9 that we've seen Ferreira used at with the national team. So I'm excited about Ferreira. I am excited about Pepe. The thing that catches my eye most in this group, though, is Christian Pulisic being back and and being involved. We don't know how much he's going to be involved. That's something that I I read about the Berhalter press conference. They're going to watch his minutes pretty carefully this weekend uh, with Chelsea. And then coming into camp, they're going to have to be careful with him, which makes sense. But if Pulisic gets on the field, I think this could be a really important window for him. He has a chance to improve on his performances in September, which were not all that strong, right? He was over dribbling a lot in that particular window. He still has quality and he's the most talented player with the ball at his feet, I think, on this team. But man, it's been hit and miss for Christian Pulisic and this is a chance for him to hit more than he misses. And a couple things uh, while we're talking about Berhalter and Pulisic. Berhalter said it's a luxury to be able to bring Christian into camp. I think that meant to be a compliment and basically implying that they weren't sure they would get to, but now they might, and they're very excited about that. He did add, we'll see what he does this weekend. It was unexpected that he would play against Malmo in the Champions League, but we want to progress things in a safe way, and that will dictate his role. Part of me feels like that's a smokescreen for saying Pulisic is going to start both games. Part of me feels (laughs) like we might see Christian Pulisic as an impact sub, but either way, I'm excited to have Christian Pulisic back in the national team because, Joe, to to your point that you just made, he didn't have the strongest performance of late with the national team. I felt like there were some sloppy moments. There was some over dribbling and some taking up space he didn't need to take when other people could have done that for him or made runs that maybe weren't as useful. So how he responds to that and to his long layoff while playing for the U.S. national team uh, makes me excited and nervous, which is maybe a good place to be ahead of a game against Mexico. I think that's exactly where I am as well, Taylor. Probably where a lot of other folks are, yeah. too. I don't think we'll see Christian Pulisic start both. Baralter mm-hmm. tends to be pretty... I mean, we saw this in the last one, though, right? He tends to be pretty aware of yeah. the workload and the minutes that he's putting on his players, especially ones that are coming off of injuries and, and one that left Christian Pulisic on the bench for as long as it did. So I, I don't think we'll see a ton of him legitimately in this game. And I do see Baralter's perspective on this being a luxury. They didn't know if that was going to happen or not. And the fact that he's in this camp and could maybe play a role off the bench or, or maybe start the second game against Jamaica. I think that's that's gravy, to be honest. So we are going to keep talking about the roster. We're going to look at some of Berhalter's other comments about the players involved, the players not involved as well. First, we're going to take a break to hear from today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. We are still discussing the U.S. men's national team World Cup qualifying roster, the latest roster, I should say. Uh, Joe, here's what I'm thinking. Let's go through one more time and talk about the position groups, the players involved. And then uh, if there are questions in there that Burhalter was asked or already answered, uh, I can give you that info if I have it. And then we can also talk about any concerns we might have or any thoughts we might have. Uh, but with goalkeepers, again, Sean Johnson, but it's going to be between Zach Steffen and Matt Turner. Berhalter was asked about this in the press conference, uh, scrolling down to find that. He definitely did a little bit of the PR work. He said they're both (laughs) excellent goalkeepers. Matt has had a great year under Bruce and everything they've done in New England. Zach is playing at a really high level. When you're playing in Man City, even in training, even just in training, we know you're facing a lot of good players and shots, so we feel like they're both in good status. And then he concluded with, we are undecided who will start against Mexico. He was asked about sort of their relative strengths and weaknesses and who fits better into this team and, and his approach for this uh, World Cup qualifying round. Joe, uh, I'm guessing you don't love that answer because I know that you love you some Matt Turner. Uh, and I'm assuming that you would prefer to see Matt Turner start against Mexico. I would. You read my mind, Taylor Rockwell. Man, that was that was excellent work. I, I have in my notes, who will start against Mexico? Question mark. I'd rather see Turner. And and I do yeah. really believe that the shot stopping that he provides is extremely valuable. And I think it's more valuable than the than the, what Zach Steffen brings with his feet. At the same time, it will not surprise me in the slightest, especially after that Costa Rica game that closed out the October window. If we see Stefan start, because Mexico will press. They spend a lot of time in a 4-4-2 mid to high block, but they, they will certainly engage the United States men's national team. And we saw that over the summer repeatedly. So having someone like Zach Stefan, who is more comfortable with the ball at his feet than Turner and, and can do more work helping the U.S. build out and play through the press if that's the approach that they take. I can understand why you would put Stefan back there, but then it's just a case of, well, what skills do you value more than others? And I think the numbers tell us that shot stopping is, is probably more important against a team like Mexico who won't just press. They will also pepper you with shots. They shoot a lot. And having Turner who can stand up and, and parry some of those shots away, I think is going to be important. So we shall see what happens there. But I, I share your thoughts, Joe. I think I lean Matt Turner. I won't be angry if it's Zach Steffen. I won't be sad if it's Zach Steffen. But as soon as he makes a mistake, I think we'll be back to having that conversation about should it have been Matt Turner. So maybe we should just go with Matt Turner from the jump and then we don't have to have that level of uh, discourse, Joe. Yeah, I mean, let's just let's just do it. I think Baralder's Baralder's listening. Let's just get him on board, Taylor. <laughs> he was he was asked about his podcast with Bobby Warshaw, uh, and interjected into the question. You're listening to that? I didn't know anybody listened to that, which <laughs> I thought was. Uh, hilarious and also probably tragic for Bobby at the same time. Uh, to the defense, let's go, Joe. Uh, so no Serginho Dest. We already talked about John Brooks, but no Dest either uh, due to injury. And I think it's been cited as a back injury. That then led uh, a few folks on Twitter and elsewhere to speculate that oftentimes when a player cites a back injury as to why they can't train or why they're unable to play, it can be genuine, but it can Neymar. also be a Neymar. screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dimitri Pyatt was the famous one who yeah, yeah. like always cited his back when he wanted to move away from West Ham because you can't really scan for back issues. I know that seems crazy to think because it's like, yes, if you have a, a busted vertebrae or something like that, 
that's going to be obvious. But in the way that you can see a hamstring strain or a tear, you can't quite see that. You can just have like vague back issues. So there was some speculation. Maybe he wants to stay with Barcelona. They've got a new manager. Uh, Berhalter addressed that head on. He said, if we thought he could play, we would have called him in. He added that the decision was made to leave Dest off at 7.30 this morning, Man. that they waited until the very last minute. And then he emphasized that he would not be surprised if the roster changes again between now and when the players report. And I, I will be honest and say that that made me a little bit nervous because the obvious player who could have their status change between now and the end of the weekend would be Christian Pulisic. Uh, so hopefully that that is not the case, but uh, he, he said that players have been uh, notified that they should stay ready just in case there are changes. And with Dest being left off, he, he concluded that he still fully expects the fullbacks to produce. They're confident that they can do it again this window. Um, but the ads that this has nothing to do with him having to adjust to his new environment at Barcelona, this was an injury concern first and foremost. So I think really trying to get across that Dest would be there if he could go. But since he can't, we instead have other right back options. Joe, Reggie Cannon included, which is a surprise to me because he hasn't really been playing and then came off this weekend in the first half with an injury. But we also have DeAndre Yedlin and a player that I know we're both excited about and very happy to see included, Joe Scally. I'm super excited about Joe Scally being in this group. I am bummed that Dest is not going to be in this yep. camp. And, and his injury is a really tough one, right? He had some lovely moments in the last window. That goal, yes, of course, against Costa Rica. But also, I mean, his combination play on the right side was pretty good. He had some really nice sequences with Tim Weah and, and Yunus Musa in that Costa Rica game. He was rounding into form, I think, with the national team in a way that maybe we didn't see him in the first window back in September. And so now losing out on some of that momentum and some of the chemistry that had been built on that right side, I think, is a big blow. The logical mm -hmm. question then is, who is the first right back in the depth chart at this yeah. point? Who is going to start these games? I I think it's likely going to be an open competition. Right. With Scally probably on the outside looking in just because of his lack of experience. Mm -hmm. Taylor, what's your read on on right back? Who of these three players would you like to start? Who do you think will who do you think will start and, and will those players be the same or are they gonna be different? Well, my first thought is that uh, I'm annoyed with you, Joe, for beating me to that question, because I wanted to pose that <laughs> very same question to you. So I will say this. I, I think if you ask me who would I like to see start at right back, my answer is Joe Scally. If you ask me who do I think will start at right back, I, I would say Reggie Cannon because he's involved and included and I believe hasn't been, wasn't the last round of qualifying. And I think maybe this is Burhalter bringing him back in to see what he can do. But with the injury and the lack of playing time we've seen, it might end up, be, end up being DeAndre Yedlin. And I don't know how much I love that because I haven't watched him a ton this season for Galatasaray. Uh, Yedlin is also one of three players carrying a yellow card. And I think that's why we have three right backs in here is that if he gets another mm. one, if he did start this game, then he could be potentially suspended for the next game. And if you follow the logic there... If you, Greg Berhalter, are constructing a roster and you're worried about a player picking up a yellow card in one game and thus being suspended for the next, and only one of those players has a yellow card, it sort of tracks logically in my mind that the player you'd be worried about picking up a yellow in the first game would be DeAndre Yedlin. Yeah, I have the same answer to that question that you did, Taylor, and I'm, I'm happy I beat you to the punch. <laughs> <laughs> I think Yedlin will start. He has the most caps of anyone in this right back group by far, right? 69 mm -hmm. caps, Canon has 22, and this is, of course, Scally's first ever involvement with the senior national team. 
I would be surprised, pleasantly surprised, to be honest, if, if Yedlin didn't start, because I don't think he's been very good with the U.S. for quite some time now. But I, I would be surprised if he didn't start. I would like to see Scally, but like I said before, I, I think because of his lack of experience in this group, I would be pretty surprised to see him in the lineup. I would be, I'd be happy because I think he's the most talented player of these three and he's in the best form. But I, I'm not sure how likely it is that we'll see him break in against Mexico. And I hope, I hope to be wrong on that, Taylor. And then what about your center backs, Joe? Uh, I think it's safe to assume that Miles Robinson will be starting in one spot, going with a back four, which seems likely. Who would you like to see start in the other one? The candidates would be McKinsey, Richards, or Zimmerman. I, I think Zimmerman. This is a hard one, right? Because Richards right. is better on the ball than Walker Zimmerman and maybe a little bit more mobile, but Zimmerman's better in the air. And I'm thinking about Zimmerman crashing up against Raul Jimenez. I feel a lot better mm-hmm. about that than I do about Chris Richards trying to do that same job. I thought Zimmerman was good in the last window. I thought he's been good over the summer as well before he left the Gold Cup with an injury. I think I have Zimmerman and Robinson starting together, but I am torn about Richards potentially breaking into that duo because of what he can do with the ball at his feet, especially relative to Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman. Joe, I'm putting you on the spot here because I'm I'm not sure I know the answer to this. But uh, when Berhalter talks about pressing high and wanting to kind of be aggressive and he wants defenders who can cover ground to make up for that, historically with, with, with Greg Berhalter, does he tend to have two mobile center backs or is it more often the kind of one who's big in the air, good in the air and kind of physical and can maybe play with the ball at their feet and then one who can cover the ground and make those sort of 1v1 tackles if there are fast breaks or counterattacking opportunities – it feels more like it's the the big guy and the fast guy is the normal combination. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there have been fast guy and fast guy before. It's been a mix of the two, okay. right? For a while, I don't know, maybe some folks will remember back when Aaron Long, in, in 2019, when Aaron Long was kind of a big thing with the national team, the idea was that you have Long to cover Brooks's defensive deficiencies. Right. And over time, because the pool has, has sort of changed and because John Brooks has been available on a part-time basis – that that profile has changed and the center back makeup of the, of those two in a back four has changed. And, we all, and we've also seen different permutations. We've seen a back three, too. So it, it it's not as clear cut as that. And it's not as clear cut as I think it used to be. And so now, at least as I see it, Baralter is making changes to that group based on the individual opponent and the skills that he think best fit that he thinks will best fit in that game. Right, so we've covered our defenders, except for the, our our left sided fullbacks. I do, that I do have one, one thing. I do have one thing on the oh, left backs, Taylor. Um, I, maybe you were leading there, and I just cut you off. I was going to say case, Anthony Robinson and Sam Vines. Uh, I would say Anthony Robinson starting, Sam Vines in there for uh, just some depth to see how he's doing following injury. Yeah, and good to see Vines. We've talked about him yep. a couple times over the last couple of weeks with his work with Royal Antwerp and Belgium, and he's been working his way back. And I've been generally encouraged by what we've seen from him. I am a little surprised to see Vines over Bellow. And I, I don't know if that tells us anything, given the timing of this international window with Major League Soccer's playoff push. And that could be a factor for Atlanta. Maybe they really wanted to keep Bellow. I don't know exactly. And they're not a shoe-in for the playoffs either. So maybe there's something there. Maybe there's not. But I, I do think it could be notable that Vines has leapfrogged Bellow here. Um, and I guess mm-hmm. we'll know more about that in 2022. We'll see what happens in 2022. For right now, we're going to see what happens with the midfield. We've run through uh, the players already. Uh, Berhalter did mention that Adams and McKinney, I believe, are both on yellow cards. So some of the players brought in uh, are there to be potential depth, which makes sense in one regard. It makes less sense in the other, because I would argue a logical replacement for Weston McKinney in this team would be Luca De La Torre, who 
was not included. Joe, I, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you are not happy about that one. But do you share my, my thoughts that if Weston McKinney were suspended for J- Jamaica, that Luca De La Torre could have done a serviceable enough job? Oh, absolutely. I, I think right. I would have much preferred to see Luca De La Torre against Jamaica than say Sebastian Legette or Christian Roldan, yep. right? And we could see Christian Roldan in the, in the winger group as well. He can play both of those spots. He's played wide more than he's played centrally in, in recent memory for the U.S. Men's National Team. But man, you bring up those yellow cards, Taylor, and that's a phenomenal point. A yellow card for Adams and a yellow card for McKinney against Mexico means we could see Acosta and Legette and Musa against Jamaica. And is that, is that really what you want after the Panama game? I don't, I don't think so. Having someone who you can rely on to progress the ball, to be comfortable and, and drive it forward, I think you would much rather see, I certainly would much rather see Luca De La Torre do that job rather than Legette. And maybe this is irrelevant. Maybe it's Busio who's going to be eating up all of those those minutes as the third number eight, and it's not going to be relevant. Maybe the yellow cards aren't even going to happen, and this is all for nothing. But it seems like Baralter's kind of penned himself into a corner in a way that he just didn't need to for this camp. So I agree with you. I will I will try to make you feel better about the world for a moment, Joe, because I will say when he was asked about players who maybe uh, were like on the bubble, he mentioned when it comes to fitness, when it comes to like their performance at club level, Yunus Musa is one who is not performing as much at club, but then Berhalter cited what he has done at national team level as to why uh, he, he is still included in this one. But he praised Weston McKinney a lot. He praised Tyler Adams a lot. Musa was the only one that he sort of noted as being like on the bubble or just sort of brought in because of what he's done previously as opposed to at club level. Then he was asked about Gianluca Busio, and his immediate response was he'll be pushing for a starting position. And that leads me to think that if one of the MMA midfield is going to make way, it seems like it's going to be uh, Musa. So maybe we do get a Busio mckinney and Adams' partnership at some point, which would be a, the BAM midfield, I guess. <laughs> that's pretty good, Taylor. That's that's pretty good. I like the uh, I'll take that one. The acronym there is that shoot, is that an acronym or an initialism? Then it's no an acronym. Okay, I got it. It's an acronym. I, I'm yeah. tracking now. Um, thank you, everyone, for bearing with me there. Uh, this is Taylor. This does make me feel slightly better, but in no in no reality mm-hmm. would I prefer to see Busio start over Yunus Musa if all three of those <laughs> players are Agreed. are fit. With three of those players, I mean Musa, McKenney, and Adams, and then Busio mm-hmm. being the fourth, I suppose. I would really, really prefer to see the MMA midfield start in both games, which we should mention. Baralter talked about, I read this on Twitter, talked about in the press conference, how if he's pleased with the performance of his players in the first game, they have enough time between game one against yep. Mexico and Cincinnati and game two against Jamaica in Jamaica that there really doesn't have to be the rotation, certainly not rotation on the scale that we saw against Panama. So that is notable that this is only a two-game window. There should be less tinkering from one game to the next, barring some really poor performances. So that setting that aside, I think it was yep. important to note that for a moment. I really, really feel strongly that the MMA midfield is the best part of this team, and disrupting that would be a mistake. At the same time, Busio yep. has been improving in Syria, and we've seen that up close watching clips of him almost every weekend. He's a, he's developing. He's getting better on the ball. He's covering ground, becoming a bit more patient defensively. I would much prefer to see Busio as that third eight rotating in should a yellow card to Weston McKinney happen in game one, rotating into game two, something like that, coming off the bench with 30 minutes left in game one. Whatever the situation is, I would hope that he will be the backup to whoever you know, needs to come out of that eight group first, Taylor. Two things there, Joe. First of all, thank you for bringing up the rotation uh, element because – 
lest we forget, the last two rounds of World Cup qualifying have been three games instead of the usual two because we're on a condensed schedule due to COVID. So this is the first round uh, of this iteration where we only have the two games. So I think there will be less of an emphasis on rotation than there's been previously, or at least that will be less of a talking point. I also think... Looking at the way he answered some of these questions, there I, I think I am correct in saying that there is literally only one player that he said is a definitive starter. I think we can assume Adams will be. I think we can assume McKenney will be. He mentioned that we see Ricardo, Ricardo Pepe, playing a good portion of both of these games. That's the only one he said sort of clearly. Everybody else, I think he structured it in a way to make sure that if the players are reading those quotes and seeing what he said, they know they've got to be perform. And this would be one of those moments. The Musa Busio is really hard to say. Uh, but that sort of like, yeah, we know what Musa could do. He's been great for the team. But Jean-Luc Busio has come in and like he's pushing for a starting position. He's handled the transition to a top level league about as well as anyone I've ever seen. That's a quote from Burhalter. He's done a great job and is in good form. So we'll see what happens. That feels to me very much like a coach saying, I've got two very good guys who could both play this one spot. We'll have to see what they do in camp. And if I'm the player reading that, I am pretty clearly being being told, you better come into camp ready to go or you won't be starting. And I don't have much beef with that. And with all that said, I want it to be Eunice Musa starting. Of course. And, and both of those things can be true, right? That could be smart mm-hmm. PR work from Greg Berhalter, not just speaking to us in the media or, or to fans or to his team, but also speaking to Mexico, right? Hey, Tata, you can't just prep for Musa and assume it's going to be MMA. It might be Busio. And what, what sort of wrinkles does that present? And, and maybe I'm overthinking that slightly, but I think it's smart press conference work from Greg Berhalter. And, and he generally is pretty good at that sort of thing. Yeah. And I want to I want to go back to the quote I was struggling to find. It was in that uh, question about the Bobby Warshaw podcast. I didn't know anyone listened to that. And it was a reference to the thing that we talked about when we did the scuffed crossover of him saying that we started some guys, we played some guys who weren't in the best of form. Uh, and the question he was asked was, was there more of an emphasis on form and fitness this time around? And the three players he, he spotlighted were Pulisic, Reggie and Eunice. Uh, Pulisic is just back. Reggie just started uh, this weekend. Eunice is, hasn't been playing, but it's always a combination of what they've done in the past for us and what they're doing for their teams. And I think in this case, for a few of those players, what they've done for us in the past, maybe this is me, Taylor speaking, outweighs what they've done at club level of late. Joe, uh, I guess we can move on from the midfield, but I, I think we should. I would like to at least spend a moment to say, I agree with you about Roldan. He can play wide. And I think we've talked about this back and forth so many times. I think we see what he is capable of as an impact player when the U.S. needs to sort of, I don't know, just like uh, apply more like grease to keep the things moving, moving effect, effect, efficiently. Ooh, got there eventually. But Sebastian Legette, I, I do have some concerns about because I, I like him. I've interviewed him. I like what he has done for the team in the past. And there were moments when he felt like he was going to be a very important glue guy. I've gone grease and now I've gone glue, <laughs> but I, I, I haven't enjoyed what I've seen from him at national team level. And we should say, you know, we're not in camp. We don't know what, what happens there. We don't know what energy he brings and what he means to that team. But I will say that I think his performances have been underwhelming enough that, yeah, Luca De La Torre would have made a lot more sense to me. I, I don't think Tanner Tessman was ever going to get called in. But no, even just no. from the one game that we watched him play from this past weekend, I saw a lot that I liked from him. And I wouldn't have minded seeing him be called in just to see how he kind of stacks up. And maybe we'll still see some players brought in. 
uh, due to injury, or maybe we'll just expand the roster size. But I just wanted to go back to Legette, I guess, to end on a sad note with the midfield, just to say that I think there's a lot to like there, but there are still some issues that become larger issues if things don't go well in these next two games. Yep, I'm right there with you, Taylor. You want your best players playing in these games, and that's part yep. of my my beef with John Brooks not being involved, and it's a, my beef with this position group outside mm-hmm. of the first three and outside of Busio probably. With Legette or Rodan in over Luca De La Torre, I don't think you have your best players involved in these games, and I, I think that could end up hurting the United States men's national team. Well, on that positive note, we'll take one more break, then we'll come back <laughs> to talk about the Fords and any other things we want to talk about. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. All right, Joe Lowry, six more players to be discussed up top in our attack. Brandon Aronson, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, and Timothy Weah. Joe, how pumped are you to see Jesus Ferreira? I'm I'm so pumped. I mentioned it earlier. I'm I just gonna keep, I like I know, what, I'm gonna keep going back to it. <laughs> I like what he brings, right? I like yeah. what he brings, and he's a change of pace. I think he could help the US create some nice overloads. I, 
I like this move, and I, I, I first of all, I like how happy FC Dallas's social media manager is going to yep. be. The content <laughs> we're about to see from Eddie online is going to be elite. Uh, no pressure, but I, I think he can thrive under that sort of pressure, Taylor. I like this Was combo. It? They, they complement each other, and I think they have the potential to complement the rest of the the forward position group in the midfield as well. I, I think, I think the striker choices are are pretty strong from Greg Berhalter. Was it call up Ferreira, you cowards? Is that what the account was yesterday? <laughs> I think so. I can't remember, yeah. but I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. Uh, it has since been changed, the FC Dallas bio on Twitter, to during international break, just think of us as regular fans. Uh, in response to Berhalter saying, we see Ricardo playing a large portion of these games. They quote tweeted that and said, good call, coach. And the, the other one that I, I very much appreciated when the roster was first released is a quote tweet with... Six former FC Dallas Academy players. Oh, this account is about to be so insufferable. So credit to the FC Dallas uh, social media team for their work there. Let's talk about the rest of the attacking options, Joe. I've got one. We're just going to go straight to it because I know it's going to make a lot of people annoyed. Uh, Greg Berhalter asked about Brendan Aronson and where he fits in this team. With Christian Pulisic coming back, we would assume that if he can start, uh, especially against Mexico, he will start on the left wing. So... The right wing becomes a, a question mark. And it was uh, asked of, of Berhalter, could Brandon Aronson, who has played there uh, at club level, uh, could he play on the right? Could he start on the right? Berhalter said, I think he can play on the right, but he's also been on the left. We have Paul and Wea, who, we have Paul and Timmy who can do that. Excuse me. So I don't think there's a ton of urgency to move him. To me, that says... It's Pulisic if he can go. It's Aronson on the left if he can't. And on the right, it is in the order that he listed them, Paul Areola and then Timothy Weah. I I agree with the fact that Aronson is likely the starter on the left side. That's where we've seen him most recently with the national team. And like I said before, I don't know how likely it is that Pulisic starts either of these games, especially mm-hmm. this first one against Mexico. So Aronson on the left feels like a pretty safe bet to me. I I don't necessarily buy into the, he said Paul Ariola's name first yep. and Wea's name second. That means anything. I, I mm-hmm. think that's reading a bit too far. At the same time, though, Taylor, we did see very recently against Costa Rica, the last game of the October window, we saw Ariola be put in the starting lineup over Tim Wea. And it was a last-minute injury to Paul Ariola that got Wea into the lineup at all. And, and he ends up scoring, sort of, it was an own goal, but he ends up being heavily involved in the first half and, and playing a big part in that second goal. The U.S. men's national team scores. So... I think Tim Weah is a better player than Paul Areola. They do different things, of course. But Weah's skill set, I think, has a lot of value. He can do the defensive work, not at the level that Paul Areola does it, but he brings a lot more on the offensive side to, to compensate for the, the slight difference between their defensive work. Maybe slight isn't even far enough, but, but between the differences in their relative defensive abilities. So I think not starting Weah against Mexico and, and maybe even in both of these games would be a missed opportunity. And I, I truly do hope that we see Tim Weah get the start on the right opposite either Aronson or Pulisic. Interestingly, when it comes to Wea, uh, Berhalter asked about the number nine depth. He That was where he spotlighted that Ricardo Pepe will be playing a lot. Then he mentioned that Ferreira can play there. And here are the two interesting ones to me, Joe. He mentioned Pulisic can move there if we need him to. And he said Timothy Wea has played as a number nine for his club, and that's a thing he could do for us. So we could get Tim Weah as a number nine. I feel like you are correct, Joe, that more likely we get him out on the right. And I, sh- I share your thoughts that I would like to see Weah starting on the right, Pulisic starting on the left. And if he can't start, then it's Brendan Aronson. 
And then obviously I want to see Ricardo Pepe uh, up top in the middle. Uh, he was asked, Berhalter, about why no DK or no PFOC or other uh, striker options. He said, it's more about what we want to do and how we want to play in these two games. We want to stretch the opponent, get behind the back line, be aggressive in our pressing, and we want dynamic movement in the box. And that, therefore, the people that he brought in uh, let us do that more effectively. DK is getting back to form, but not exactly where he needed to be right now. Jordan Morris is more stationary, question mark, uh, more of a hold-up player, at least for us. So I think that he was uh, addressing DK, addressing Morris, didn't mention PFOC, did not mention Sargent, was not asked about Sargent, but I think we understand why Josh Sargent wasn't involved. Uh, Joe, any other thoughts on those uh, attacking options? Not really. I think this mm-hmm. is the strike force that I would have, have chosen. And we, we mentioned this earlier this week, I believe, on the show, maybe last week. And the winger options look fine to me as well. No Matthew Hoppy. It's understandable. No Jossie yeah. Zardes out with an injury. There Wait, quickly, a, Joe, for people who are just yeah, catching up, why, why is Matthew Hoppy understandable? Uh, he was brought in in the last camp and, and didn't really play a whole lot. I think he had one mm-hmm. appearance off the bench in that final game against Costa Rica, if I'm remembering correctly, and then just hasn't been playing for Mallorca. And this is mm-hmm. a situation where he was already on the fringes anyway. And if he'd been shining for Mallorca and, and scoring goals and creating danger, then we'd probably see him, but he hasn't. So we aren't. I, I think the, the reasoning there is pretty strong from Berhalter. I, I, those moves aside, th- those absences aside, which I don't have any real issue with, I think this group makes a lot of sense, Taylor. I do too. I'm flipping back in my notes. Yeah, I think you're right. I believe I saw it uh, reported that between the end of the Gold Cup and this camp, Matthew Hoppy has played like 15 minutes of competitive soccer on the pitch. So I think makes sense why no Hoppy. Uh, one more question I have for you, Joe. We're going to go back to Jesus Ferreira one more time. Bring because it. Asked about why he was involved, uh, Beralter said he's been playing as a nine with the national team previously. The performances were against lesser opponents, but we really liked uh, his strong performances there and what he was doing. Here is what he specifically said. He leads the line, he helps build up play, and he arrives in the box really well. He mentioned that phrase a couple times, and Joe, he says that a lot about late arriving or arriving in the box. Why do you think Greg Berhalter is so interested in players arriving in the box? Because it occurred to me, I know sort of what he means, but I think of that often as the Weston McKinney sort of arriving late, not being picked up and able to hit a ball if it spills loose. But I don't know why he's interested in that as being his number nine, who's theoretically leading the line. Right. It's So I think it's a slightly different situation with Pepe and Ferreira. And, and okay. we can even get a bit more general. Pepe being more of a classic nine, uh, a bigger guy. He doesn't have all the hold-up skill yet. He's still growing into his frame, I believe. But he is a bigger dude and tends to stay higher. Ferreira, in contrast to Pepe, he's in more of the midfielder mold. He's more of an attacking midfielder connector type of player, almost a, a Firmino type, right? That's a comparison that Daryl made on the show years ago, and I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I think Ferreira is a Firmino-liked in a lot of ways. Those two profiles of nines, Pepe likely is really going to be leading the line more often. Ferreira still, that, that false nine role, still can lead the line and still can stay high, Likely, Ferreira is going to have a lot more license to drop in and create some numerical advantages, which then you're taking him away from the center backs, you're taking him away from the box. Then you do need to emphasize that arriving in the box ability, making those late runs or just really 
getting on the ball, dropping, getting on the half turn, playing it forward or, or dropping it back to a midfielder and then getting on your horse and moving into the box. That's a really important trait, something that he's gotten on. I believe he's gotten on Josh Sargent about Greg Baralter has in the past of, yes, he drops in, but then where is his movement in the box? So especially with the false nine type of player, and this applies to the eights too, because often they're coming from similar areas in order for the U.S. to get numbers in the box. Those players have to have that idea emphasized and reiterated to them. You can't just hang here in midfield. Otherwise, we're not going to have enough people to really give us a chance to score goals in the final third. So you have to lay the ball off and move and arrive in the box at the right time to give us a better chance to score goals. Joe, two players we mentioned when we did our Americans in action uh, review, Caden Clark and Cade Cowell. If we were to see them thrown into this squad, which I don't think is very likely, I'm asking you this just out of speculation, sure. where would they fit in this team, do you think? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I see Cade, uh, Caden Clark, excuse me, mm-hmm. as one of these wingers, uh, who, who tucks inside. I could also mm-hmm. see him as an eight. And, and those positions are sort of similar for the U.S. men's national team. Clark doesn't have as much verticality and, and direct speed as maybe what Berhalter would like to see from his wingers. But I think he thrives in the half space, is good on the half turn, really spatially aware. I would like to see him as one of those wingers cutting inside and tucking inside. Or as one of the eights, Kate, Kate Cowell's a bit trickier. He has real speed. And I don't know if you'd rather use him as a nine and have him break in behind or if you want him playing as a winger. He doesn't have as much spatial awareness yet. He's not as clean on the ball as Clark is. And so he's just raw right now. And I think one of the reasons we haven't seen him in the national team is because he's still really developing and he has so much talent, but just isn't putting the pieces together yet, which makes it hard for me to give a a firm answer, but I would say probably as a winger with an emphasis on really breaking the back line. I appreciate that, Joe. The reason why I ask is because I am, uh, throughout the show, I've been constructing our alternate 11 for players that were not called in. And I'm just, again, to, to reiterate, the United States has a lot of talent and there is depth there. Maybe not the depth that we would like, and maybe there is a precipitous drop off from one position to the next. But here is my 11 that were not involved or even a few more than 11, because you could have Brad Guzan in goal, you could have George Bellow at left back, or maybe even Tim Ream as the like left center back sort of thing. John Brooks not here, Aaron Long not here, Cameron Carter Vickers, Matt Miazga could all be your center backs, Serginho Dest could be your right back, Tanner Tessman, I'm getting a little creative here, could be your number six, Luca De La Torre, Julian Green could maybe be your other like number eights, uh, Caden Clark or Kate or Caden Clark or Cade Cowell. Wow, that's hard to say quickly. Could be <laughs> on one side, Conrad De La Fuente could be on the other, and then your number nine could be DK Sargent, maybe even Cowell there. So there's still a ton of depth. There's still a lot of other options. There's plenty of names I'm sure that I forgot. But I think overall, I'm giving this roster a B plus, Joe. What about you? I would say B. Yeah. So just a little lower than you. It's generally, I think it's a pretty good roster. There is talent here to get results in these games. And the Mexico oh, game Reina, is going to be tough. Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Left Gio Reyna off. My bad. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's a big miss as well. We didn't yeah. mention him yet. That's, that's a good call from you, Taylor. There's talent here to get the results that the U.S. needs to get. And the Mexico game, in some senses, is a freebie because you don't always expect to pick up points against Mexico, even at home. So a result in that game would be excellent. And the U.S. has the talent to get that result. And the same with Jamaica. You could really steal three points there, even though Jamaica has a, a much stronger squad in this window than in the last one. 
one when they faced off against the U.S. There's a chance to get points here. My just overarching hesitation about this roster is it feels like Berhalter may have, have shot himself in the foot in a couple of areas where he just didn't need to. And we'll, we'll just have to wait and see if that actually ends up mattering or not, because it could be completely irrelevant or it really could come back to bite him and the U.S. Joe, I haven't looked at the Jamaica squad and now I'm looking at it and I don't like it. Well, yeah. Why would you make me this nervous, Joe? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Taylor. Do you, may, <laughs> should we practice our breathing exercises? Yeah, maybe. <sighs> Leon Bailey's back. Uh, Mikel Antonio's in there. Uh, there's a lot of other familiar names that have me slightly apprehensive. But I think we should be okay against Jamaica because first we have to beat or at least get a good result against Mexico, putting in a good performance as well in Cincinnati. Next Friday, Joe and I are going to do a more detailed preview of that game next week. We will obviously do a review of that game uh, after it happens, and hopefully it will be a happy, optimistic one where we can say, never mind, that roster was an A+, plus <laughs> as opposed to an F. Joe, anything else that we should talk about with this roster or the U.S. Men's National Team before we call it a day? I don't think so, Taylor. We've talked it all out. We'll see what happens. We look forward to the uh, angry messages about Luca De La Torre should be captaining this team. But until then, listeners, thank you all so much for listening. Joe, thank you for joining me today. You got it, Taylor. Listeners, we'll talk to you all again soon. We look forward to some victories. <laughs>